We got some funky music there for Send Sunday, don't we? That was good. Hey, uh, how are you guys today? Okay, great. Well, my name's Carter. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Church, and uh, welcome to Send Sunday. Here we are. We have Adrian and Rachel Parente with us today. Can you guys help me welcome them today with us? Uh, they're going to be going to South Asia, and so I'm really thankful that they're here. I know them super well. Uh, they're, they're friends of our family, if you want to call it that, basically like family to us. We've known them for years now. We're really close with them, and it's our honor, I think, really, to have them here with us today. Uh, but, you know, on Send Sundays like this, we do these for a couple of reasons, okay? We want you guys to know who we're supporting as a church so that you can get to know them and know what they're going to go do and why they're going to go do it. But we also want to know how to partner with them. And so we put them before you guys so that we can see how we can partner as a church and maybe even join them in whatever mission work they're going to go do. And so we have a, a vision of sending five people on mission this year. You guys know over, over the course of the last sermon series, we laid out a big vision, 50 within five years we want to send. And so it starts with these kinds of things where we're considering how to partner with our missionary partners, how we might even go with them. And it might even start with one of you guys deciding that God has touched your heart and given you a passion for church planting in another city or maybe even for doing mission work in another country, working with another people group like Adrian and Rachel here today. So uh, I want to hear, I want you guys to hear from their, their, you know, the horse's mouth, so to speak, what their story is. Um, so I will, I will just let you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves. Thank you guys for being here today. Why don't you guys give us like the 30-second version of, you know, where you come from and all that kind of stuff. And maybe even if you want to share how you became a believer so that we can just kind of get an idea of like your overall story. That would be awesome. Hello, I'm Rachel. Hi, Rachel. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think our stories, you know, of course, are parallel. And then as, as we got married, those merged together. But, I, you know, for me, I grew up in a home where God and Jesus were talked about. But the idea of a relationship with God was not something I really understood. I thought that being a Christian meant, you know, following the rules and being a good girl. Um, but it wasn't really until I got to college that God used a group of believers to come alongside me and help me understand what the gospel actually means, you know, that Christ died to reconcile a relationship with me, not to give me a to-do list um, of things to do to earn his love. So, yeah, yeah. That's cool. My name's Adrian. Uh, Hi, Adrian. <laughs> Hi, Adrian. Come I on, guys. Where are, where are we out there today, huh? Come on. We like the interaction. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. There it is. Uh, so I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I somehow wound up in a youth group uh, when I was in middle school and high school that was close to my house. And there were just a couple guys around my age that really got it. And they were faithful to pour into me and disciple me. And then we would go out and try to share the gospel. And that's kind of just been a rhythm of my life since then. So That's cool. You guys are both from where in North Carolina? Uh, I'm from Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, Winston-Salem. Winston-Salem. Okay, that's great. That's cool. That's great. 336. Well, so it's, it's nice to hear like how you came to Christ because that gives us some information about maybe why you're living the way that you're living today. But why don't, why don't you share with us like what drew you guys to the mission field and give us some of your background on that, where you guys have been and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, God has used a variety of different things to kind of very slowly, not all at once, but get me to the place that I am today. So um, 
you know, some things like different sermons, like probably the one you guys are going to hear today. Um, books like The Insanity of God, definitely read that one if you haven't. Um, and then even my own experience with short-term international mission trips. So it sounds like an opportunity you guys are going to have too. So God used so many of these things to help open my eyes to just spiritual darkness and lostness in the world and the fact that God wants to use us as believers to go and share the gospel with others who might not otherwise ever have an experience to hear it. Yeah, I'll second The Insanity of God. Uh, that book blew me away and was a big part of me deciding to pursue missions. I think the cherry on top or the nail in the coffin would have been, uh, I was at a Scent weekend or a Sin Sunday, and yeah, we had a right. missionary speaking about what unreached and unengaged people groups were. And I had heard that phrase quite a few times, being at a church like Redemption, being at a church like Mercy Hill, and uh, it it was never explained to me as bluntly as he did, but he was just like, every single time you've seen a church, every single time you've heard Merry Christmas, every single time, uh, anything that has to do with Christ, imagine that just never happening in your life. Now imagining that you could not even find a church if you were looking for one. And he just unpacked being unreached and unengaged is just not only is there no access to the Bible or Jesus, but no one's trying to get the Bible or Jesus to these people. And these people are looking at an eternity without Christ. And I was just like, oh, I need to be a part of reaching them. I think that's really great because I don't know that we all, I don't think we fully understand what that actually means. So I think that's helpful to like talk about what unreached actually means. I mean, in Roanoke, we might say some people are unreached because they've never had anybody share the gospel with them. But like you said, there's a church on every corner. They're, they're inundated with Christian culture They've seen or heard Jesus' name. Maybe they even use Jesus' name inappropriately sometimes, right? You know what I'm saying? So it's like they know it. They, it's, it's been around. But in this case, you're saying there's just, it doesn't exist. Yeah. There are places in this world that don't have that at all. Um, I think that's really important for us to understand. Uh, so why don't you share a little bit about where you guys are going as much as you can and just tell us about how unreached that place is and what that looks like there. Sure, yeah. So we're not going to be super specific just to protect the safety of people that we'll be meeting and working with there, um, but we're going to a region in kind of the center of South Asia. I don't know if you want to share any more. <laughs> and if you're wondering where in South Asia, they, uh, they're big on chai. Uh, okay. <laughs> if you still need help figuring Very that out, South Asia. come ask us. <laughs> um, and yeah, so the region that we're going to be a part of has about 13 million people in it, um, 13 million people across various kind of cities and villages. And it's actually a region where for the past decade, different teams have been going and trying to just gain traction and, you know, find people to share with. And it's been so hard until maybe very recently that it was actually nicknamed the place where mission work goes to die. Oh boy. Yeah. That's encouraging for you guys. Yeah, so we're going to be joining a team with one other person that's long-term. Uh, wow. So there'll be three of us trying to reach 13 million people. Uh, no big deal. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the strategy that we will be using is trying to find national partners. Uh, so we'll go out, we'll share the gospel, uh, hoping to find people of peace who want to hear more about Jesus, who want to hear more about what it means to follow him. And we have this 
strategy, we call it four fields, where we will teach them just the basics of being a Christian as they teach others the basics of being a Christian. And they'll form house churches. And then those house churches will go out, reach more people, and trust the gospel to them. And they will go and reach more people. And so we hope to see a multiplication of just house churches spreading throughout uh, this region, Jumbo region of South Asia. There you go. That's good. We want to work ourselves out of a job is the goal. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it sounds like the, the harvest is so great that that's going to take a while, right? I mean, that's what's so interesting about that. So last week we talked uh, 2 Timothy 2, entrusting the gospel to faithful men who will then pass it on to others. So what you just said is that. What, did, what have you seen there before, like in your past like, experience there? Did you see any of that occur? Could you give us like any kind of encouragement? I know you were there for a month or in that yeah, area. Yeah, I, I was in that area for about two months, okay. um, but a little more for you. Yeah, so one of the things that we're going to ask for you guys is to partner with us in short-term teams, uh, coming and doing ministry with us for a week or maybe two weeks at a time. Uh, but what's really cool about that is a lot of the national partners we have were reached by short-term trips. Um, people that came to our city for maybe a week, shared the gospel like crazy, and then handed these relationships off to us. We're able to pour into them. Right now, that one teammate that we're joining, he actually finally has a team member or like a national partner that is from that region who wants to go and share the gospel in that region. Oh, that's cool. Um, so it's already starting before yeah, you guys even get there. He's been hitting up a couple villages. There's been interest, but there's also, as soon as there's interest, there's been persecution. Right. And so praying against that persecution also... Yeah something we'll ask for. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. So how can we, like, can you lay out some partnership steps for us? Because I know you guys are going through an organization that really will pay your entire salary. So you're not raising money necessarily, although we can help with anything that comes up that you guys might need. But what else can we do besides just, you know, thinking in terms of money? Yeah. And I mean, we're so thankful that you guys are even considering, you know, just partnering with us and just keeping in touch with what's going on over, you know, halfway across the world. I feel obligated. You know, <laughs> we're so glad that you're our friend. Uh, but I mean, primarily prayer is going to be the biggest thing. Prayer is the greater work. Um, so praying for us, you know, preparing to leave, praying for when we get there, for our team members, the people we're going to meet and share with just for open hearts and open doors. Yeah, I just want to echo the prayer. Um, in Exodus 17, this is something that uh, one of the team members that we were talking to shared with me recently was just how important prayer is. Uh, you see Moses holding a staff up while Israel's at battle. And every time that staff starts to come down, they start to lose the battle. And so, guys, we, we're going, but like, we can't do it without prayer. We, we need you guys to hold that staff up. We need you guys to be just entering, that, entering into that with us. Yeah, and we're, you know, as we get closer to leaving, we will have very specific opportunities for ways that you guys can join our prayer team and get, like, in real-time updates of what we're doing. So if we're going out to share with somebody, if we're about to, you know, have a Bible study, you'll be able to, like, see that and pray in the moment, which is really exciting. That's cool. Um, How can then, we sign up for those? Can we get those? Can people sign up for that somehow? Yes, yeah, so we'll send all of that to you guys once it's all Great. officially set up. So. Okay, we can, we can, yeah, once you guys set that up, we can share it with our, our Redemption community on Church Center for for those of you, if you're not on Church Center and you want to know about that, ask the people at the first time guest tent, you know, on your way out. But that's how we communicate with one another. And so we can send that kind of thing out so that everybody can sign up for your, for your emails and things. 
Yeah, and then I think, like we already mentioned, short-term teams are the next huge way to partner. So short-term teams help us to cast a wider net for the people we're trying to reach. You know, the two of us and then one other guy is not going to be able to reach that many compared to 13 million that we would love to reach. Um, but the more teams that come, the more people that come, the more we're able to share with people. And then also teams are incredibly energizing to us. So please come and hang out with us. That's great. And then maybe some of you are having your hearts bricked. Maybe some of you have been thinking about this for a while or wrestling with it, mm. about maybe going long-term. There are so many avenues. We'd love to give you some ideas and help walk you through those steps. Uh, you could go for six months. You could go for a year, two years, uh, the rest of your life. Even a summer. <laughs> like, there's lots of opportunities. We'll take some small steps, perhaps, but that's good. No, I mean, that's, ser that's serious right there. But so we're good. really hoping, you know, you guys are trying to send five this year, 50 in the next five years. Okay. We got a place we need you. Come, please, join us. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's just such, there, there's obviously a spiritual battle going on here, and we are, we are confronted with an enemy in a different way here. But there's literally nothing there for people where they're going. That's what's, it's just so mind-blowing. Like unreached is literally unreached. They have no access. They're not, they've not heard the name of Jesus. They don't have anybody at all willing to or having ever shared with them. I mean, that's pretty insane. So let me just, let, let's, uh, let's go ahead and wind our time down. Let me pray for you guys. Um, and, then, uh, and then we'll transition into a sermon. But I think that's great. Thank you guys for all of that. Let me, let me pray for you guys and what you're going to be doing. God. We just pray over Adrian and Rachel right now. Um, we're just, first of all, thankful, God, that you have saved them and that you have called them into this mission with you. Just as you have with us in different contexts, God, thank you that you're calling them overseas to go and to be in South Asia to reach an unreached people who have never had access to you. 13 million people just in their region. God, please bless every step of their journey to get there. And while they're there, God, I pray that you will spiritually, emotionally, mentally protect them, physically even, if need be, God. I know that they may even, uh, you know, have persecution in their own ways there. Um, God, I pray that you'll protect them from that. And as they get persecuted and as they raise up nationals in that place who will also certainly get persecuted, please, God, give them the protection they need so that they can continue on the mission. Help them to suffer well, to be persecuted well. In, in the fashion of all of the saints that have come before them across the world for all of history. But God, I pray that you'll please use them and their team on the ground to reach people that will be saved, God. Please bring your presence to that area, that completely lost area of the world. God, please do it for your glory, your name's sake. You deserve it, God. You deserve for all 13 million of those people to be worshiping you. And so, God, I pray that you will do it and do more than we could ever ask or imagine in that. And please bless Adrian and Rachel in it and help them, God, as they move toward uh, getting there over the next six months or so. God, I pray that you'll just give them uh, peace uh, that, that surpasses all understanding, that the gospel can only provide for them in whatever circumstances they face. But, God, I pray that their circumstances would line up well so that they can get there, they can enjoy the process. And, God, I pray that they'll enjoy one another, that you'll use them to build one another up, build their team member up. God, I pray that you'll just be over and in and through all of the things that they're doing. Holy Spirit, please guide them. Please direct them. Give them wisdom in what they're about to do. And God, I just thank you for them. Thank you so much, God. I'm so grateful for their friendship and their, really their example that they set in uh, going forward in this way for us. And uh, God, thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, can we thank Adrian and Rachel again for being here with us today? Thank you guys so much for uh, being here. Um, all right, hey, as we transition into, you want to take that too, so I don't knock it over and like, you know, crash it everywhere. 
Hey, let's go ahead and move into the sermon for today. Um, I'm going to do my best to shorten our time a little bit. (laughs) I'm going to try, all right? I promise. Uh, We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. If you want to turn there or find it on your device, we'll have it up on the screens for you as well. But surprise, surprise, we're talking about the mission today and living on mission because this is Sinned Sunday after all, so we need to talk about that. We're obligated to talk about that in some sense. Uh, and, And let me start by asking you this question. Have you ever volunteered for something that you didn't really want to do? Have you ever done something out of a sense of obligation? Have you felt obligated to do something? I think that's how most of us feel about missions and evangelism. When we talk about sharing the gospel with other people, whether it's in a country somewhere else that doesn't have any access to the gospel or whether it's right here in our backyard in our own neighborhood with our neighbors, we kind of look in at that and we're like, you know what, I know I should, but I, I kind of feel obligated to, but if we're being honest, we just don't want to. Most of the time, if we're being honest, we just know that it's something that we ought to do, but we just don't feel super excited about it, kind of feel this pressure to do it. Maybe you've, ever, maybe you've felt pressured to do something before that you didn't want to do. You feel peer pressure, right? Maybe you've felt that feeling, or maybe you've felt obligated to do something. You've done it reluctantly. It makes me think of the Hunger Games, I know that we're having a resurgence since this whole, you know, whatever prequel, whatever it was that came out recently, but it made me think of the original Hunger Games, the OG Hunger Games. Have you guys ever seen the, uh, the movies or read the books? Yeah, the writing was terrible. The movies are so much better. We can argue about that later if you want to. I like to just kind of jab that out there, you know, put it, put, put it out there. But anyway, in the story, Katniss Everdeen and her family, they live in the 12th district. So they're, they're super poor. They're, they're very oppressed by the upper echelons of the society at the time. And so they have to send a boy and a girl as tribute to the capital to participate in the Hunger Games along with all the other districts, right? Now, this is a young teen book, so they, of course, have to fight to the death. That's what the Hunger Games are, okay? Just goes real deep real quick, very dark, all right? And when they, when they do that, they're, they're just called at random, the tributes are. And they're sending this boy and the girl. So in the 12th district, this comes up, and they're all there to see who these, these tributes are going to be. And when the girl is called, it happens to be Katniss's younger sister, Prim. She's called, and she's just this little girl that is most assuredly going to die in the Hunger Games. And so Katniss, being the good sister that she is, she steps up, and she volunteers as tribute, right? That's the whole deal, you know? She volunteers as tribute in place of her sister, but she does it out of a sense of obligation, of love for her sister, certainly, but with dread, it's, she's volunteering for something that she doesn't want to have to volunteer for, but she feels obligated to do it, and she does it, and there's dread when she does it because she knows how deadly it's going to be. It's almost going to certainly mean death even for her, and I think that's how most of us feel about missionary work and evangelism when we talk about sharing our faith. Does anybody else feel that way besides me? Is it just me? Anybody feel that kind of like sense of, like, ah, oh, man, I, I, I know I should, but I just don't want to. I have this sense of dread about it. We look in and we know it's supposed to be a part of the Christian life. We know we're supposed to love the lost people around us enough to share the gospel with them, but if we're we're 100% honest, we just don't. We don't want to do it. Uh, We might do it begrudgingly, but certainly not because we want to. It's out of a sense of obligation. Well, in Isaiah 6 today, we're going to learn that it's not until we encounter the God of the universe and see his glory and then we're cleansed by his salvation, that we're going to be compelled to then go 
to others with the gospel willingly. If we want to grow in our desire to live on mission, actually have a, a joy in doing it, we're going to have to see God the way that Isaiah sees him today in our text and experience his salvation in our lives in a very real way, very real way like he does. And so here's the main point if you're taking notes and you want to write this down. Salvation results in sharing. Salvation results in sharing. Now, we, we just, we're building on Pastor Michael's uh, sermon from last week. Mobilization starts with me, right? The mission starts with me. Well, it's because God saves us that results naturally in us wanting to take it to other people. There's a desire in our heart. And of course, when I say that salvation results in sharing, obviously salvation results in a lot of other things too. So that's not what I'm not just trying to say it's the only thing. We just talked about a lot of those things in our sermon series over the last month, right? And even over the last year into the fall where it looks like us growing up and maturing in our faith in Jesus. So salvation results in other things. But today in our text, we're going to specifically see this direct correlation between salvation and sharing. And I think we can and should go so far as to say that when you're not willing to share the gospel at all, there's a problem. At the very least, there's a problem. At the very least, maybe you've forgotten something about how good God has been to you. Maybe you've forgotten something about his glory in your life. Maybe you've forgotten something about the goodness of the salvation that you have experienced in your life. But at worst... Maybe you've never shared the gospel because you've never known this God, even though you might think you do. That's the worst case scenario. If you've never wrestled with or had even a desire to share the gospel with somebody else and to talk to them about Jesus the way that we've heard Adrian and Rachel want to go and share this with people who've never had access, if that doesn't touch your heart in a special way, and you think, man, I just don't want to share the gospel at all, it's never crossed your mind, then you probably don't know Jesus. You've probably never experienced this salvation before. Because you can't, I want to warn you today, like what Isaiah is going to do, if that's you, you may never have met and encountered this God and his glory. Because when you do, you are compelled. There is no possible way that you can encounter the God of the universe and then experience his cleansing and his salvation and not be willing to share that with somebody else. There's just no way. And so I think that maybe, I don't want you to misunderstand, does that mean that we have to be sharing the gospel with people every day and winning souls for Jesus every single day? If we're not, we're not a Christian? No, that's not what I'm saying. Don't misunderstand. However, I do think that if we're not sharing him on a daily basis with other people and we're not talking about the salvation that's radically transformed our lives, then there's a problem, at the very least, that we need to deal with in our lives. And, and so today, as we consider these things, maybe some of us need to sit under a little bit of conviction today. It's going to be one of those kinds of sermons, as you can tell. Because that's where Isaiah is going to take us to this place. We might have to wrestle with a little bit what we call Christianity. Are we serving a God that we've made up? Are we serving the God of creation and glory that set us up and created us and told us how to live? Which way is it going to be for us? I don't know. We're going to have to really wrestle with that today. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand. I also don't want to pull any punches here because some of us, maybe most of us, probably need to repent as our step coming out of the sermon today. I know that's, probably, that's where I'm at. This topic really hits me. I've talked to you guys about that before. This is hard for me. I'm an introvert. I have all kinds of excuses for why I shouldn't share the gospel. I'm a professional Christian. I'm a pastor. So it's hard. I don't want to talk about it anymore when I get home. I have all these excuses. And I think this really touched my heart this, this week. So I think it will do the same for you. Let's go ahead and read Isaiah 6 and we'll talk about it. We're going to read Isaiah 6 starting in verse 1. Buckle up. All right, because here we go. This is what it says. It was in the year of, that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. This is Isaiah talking. 
He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. And then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it, and he said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. And then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. That's, so we'll stop there. But man, there's, there's not a lot of consensus on this text and what this vision is for Isaiah. But... Many scholars, and this is the approach that I'll take, think that it's his calling into the prophetic ministry to Israel. Now, the first five chapters will be the setup to this. It's like the precursor. It's the preamble. It shows the overview of what his prophetic message is going to be. And then chapter 6 right here gets into his calling into that prophetic ministry that God is saying, I'm calling you into this, and you're going to go speak to my people on my behalf. And we get a vision here. Isaiah sees this vision of God. In the temple, which is where God's presence would dwell with Israel. You might remember how God had been with them since Egypt. You know, in the, in the wilderness, he had them create a tabernacle. And there were all these different designs that he had Moses and the artisans there create all of this. It was a big tent that they would meet with God in pla the places that they were traveling in the wilderness. There was the Ark of the Covenant, there was a sacred lampstand, there was incense, there was an altar there, there was a basin for washing. All of these things would be used symbolically to meet with God. And during Isaiah's time, or really before Isaiah's time, a temple was built permanently. So it was no longer a tent of meeting, it was a temple. It was, this was after King David, after King Solomon. Solomon's the one who built the temple. The, Isaiah says this is the year that King Uzziah died, who was in the lineage of David. And Isaiah is there in this temple, in his vision, worshiping the Lord. It's this incredible moment. And instead of seeing the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, that central place where God would meet with the priest on behalf of the people, Isaiah, in this vision, goes into the temple and he sees God's presence, not in an abstract form, but he's confronted with the direct presence of God. And what he alludes to is like a human-like form on a throne with a robe and the train of his robe. I mean, it, God is on his throne and heaven has come down to earth in this vision. And the train, which is that part that you know, drags across the ground, the train of his robe is filling the entire temple. And really the glory of God fills the entire earth. So almost we get a picture that this isn't just the temple in Israel. This is like the entire world. And God is in it on his throne. And all of these different weird fiery beings Seraphim, they're attending God as the king and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. And the ground is shaking because of their voices and because of their praise and prominence there. And there's smoke all around. And it's just this mysterious kind of scary moment where the seraphim even have to cover their bodies 
Because they're in God's presence, they can't directly see him because of his glory and his holiness. And it's interesting, when we have these kinds of visions throughout the Old Testament, you can never see God fully. He's never described fully in these visions. I mean, because he's so holy, you can't see God. This is what we see here with Isaiah. He can't fully see God. I want you to write this down first, and then I'll talk about it. God is so far beyond us that words can't fully describe him. That's the whole idea. I know people tell us we put God in a box because we worship him in a specific way, the way that he's told us to worship him and all this. But this is the God of the universe. His glory far surpasses anything we could ever possibly understand. He's so far beyond us that the only thing that Isaiah can get out is to say that the train of his robe is all he can see and it fills the entire temple that he's in and his glory fills the whole earth. We don't have any other description of God except for what Isaiah can see when his eyes are down. Right? That's the idea here. We see Isaiah bowing to the ground. He can't see anything else above the train of God's robe. That's all he can experience right now, just the hem of his garment because of God's surpassing power and majesty. We see this throughout the Old Testament. Moses and Elijah, the same thing. They can't see God. Moses has to be held in the cleft of a rock and protected, and all he can see is the train of God's robe as he goes by. Right? It's this concept that you can just get a glimpse of God's holiness and glory, just a tiny glimpse, and no... When he describes God in this way, he's not trying to give him some kind of like idea that this is, God is actually on a throne, a literal throne somewhere. He's not like a human somewhere in a place. Heaven is a spiritual place. Really, place is not a good word for it. Really, it's like a dimension. If we could think of, you know, I mean, I'll, you guys, maybe if you know me, know that I like quantum physics. And so I like thinking of the alternate dimensions that they mention in quantum physics. So there are these ideas in quantum physics that there are multiple, maybe even up to 13 dimensions. Really, when we think about alternate dimensions in, in quantum physics, it gets it a lot better what heaven might be like for us. In other words, we can't understand what a fourth or fifth dimension would be like because we're three-dimensional beings. But we know that they're there. We can kind of observe their, the, the, the idea that they're, they're, they're there, they exist, but we just can't possibly fathom them. Well, that's kind of how heaven is. And heaven has come down because God is in heaven. And God is spirit, according to John 4, 4. So he's far beyond what we could possibly, we know he's there, we can see his effects, in other words, but we can't possibly understand. There's no physical form in reality. So the vision that Isaiah has for us here, we have to understand that this only ca just catches a glimpse of God's holiness. We, we have to understand that the, the vision is so that we can understand how God, how it feels to be in God's presence, if I could put it that way. Like, this is, this is just how it feels. Like, it feels terrifying. It feels glorious. It feels a certain way, and that's all we're getting from this. Isaiah's just seeing a little bit, and when he sees this tiny little glimpse of God, he's terrified. He despairs. It's dreadful. He's, 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 he's filled with a sense of dread because of God's holiness and power. Our translation said his response was, it's all over, I'm doomed. I'm doomed. If you look at the old versions, it'll say, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm unraveled. It's almost like he's unraveling in God's presence because God just melts away all of his impurities. He sees God's surpassing power and glory. He's confronted with how holy God is and how broken and sinful he is. And he's just laid bare before the God of the universe. Kind of reminds me of how my dog Coda is when he gets in trouble. I don't know, I know it's a little bit of a leap there. I am God to my dog though, I think, right? He's like, yes, master. So when he, when he used to do something bad as a puppy 
And we would come home and walk in. He would melt before us. I mean, just crumple into a pile on the floor. And then he would army crawl to our feet, groveling, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not, you know, he's just like crawling, just very, just like, I mean, you know, how, you know how dogs do this, right? This is the picture of Isaiah standing in God's presence, except infinitely greater, the God of the entire universe. He's sitting at his feet and he's groveling. He can't fathom being in God's presence. So you can write this down. The only appropriate response to experiencing God is fear. That's what Isaiah is experiencing here. Fear in God's presence. I heard uh, Pastor Andrew Hopper, who's uh, our sending pastor in Greensboro, say it like this. I, Isaiah doesn't say wow when he sees God. He says whoa. This is not a wow moment. This is a woe moment. He experiences God's presence. He's like, whoa, this is unsettling. I'm I'm terrified because I'm fully laid bare before God. It's like being next to a light so bright that it shines through every part of your body and nothing is hidden. It's not like an x-ray. It's greater than x-ray. You can see everything. Nothing can hide from it. That's what it's like standing in God's presence for Isaiah here. He can't help but confess his sins then. It's all laid bare. That's what it's like to truly encounter the God of the universe. When you encounter him, everything in you will be laid bare before him. And the only appropriate response is fear that leads to that confession. So you can write this down as well. Confessing your sins is always the first step in salvation. That's the next step after fear is to confess. Before you can ever be saved by God, you have to confess. You're you're laid bare before him and God brings you near. If he ever brings you near enough to experience his glory in any way, to see the train of his robe, so to speak, like Isaiah does here, you won't be able to help yourself but to respond by confession. It will all come out before God. You will have to repent in his presence because of his glory and his perfection. It's not possible not to because you can't face God and still think you're somebody. You're not somebody in the face of God. God is everything and you're nothing in his sight in that way. All your faults, all your sins, all your rebellion against him, it will be laid bare. You cannot deny it. And in his presence, all you can see is his glory and your lack of glory. It was like that for Isaiah. But then a pivotal moment happens. There's this pivotal moment here, right? Because he's, he's woe is me, I'm undone. I'm doomed. I, what's going to happen? And then all of a sudden, this seraph, one of these fiery, strange beings, takes a coal from the altar and brings it over to him, probably at God's command, obviously here, and he touches his lips. And that burning coal cleanses him of all of his sin. What's going on here? Well, you remember the altar in the temple is where the blood sacrifice would be made for the atonement of people's sins. Means God would symbolically place people's sins onto this innocent animal, and the animal would be killed and slaughtered in the place of the people, and then it would be burned up and consumed on the altar. So the coal represents God's holiness and his wrath against sin, because it's that thing that consumes in fire the flesh of the animal. But when we see the cold touch Isaiah's lips, the fire of God's wrath and holiness doesn't consume him. Instead, it cleanses him. What's going on here? Why would that happen? Well, it's because this comes from the altar 
of the true sacrifice that would one day cleanse and cover all of Isaiah's sins, all of Israel's sins, and all of the sins of the whole world for anyone who would believe in him. That's why. Because Isaiah is getting a glimpse of what's going to happen in the future with Jesus. Jesus is, of course, this sacrifice. That come, the, the coal comes from this altar. So you can write this down. Jesus' sacrifice is the coal that cleanses us. Jesus' sacrifice is this thing that Isaiah is seeing, but he doesn't fully understand yet. And Jesus' sacrifice saves us from God's wrath against our sin. Isaiah actually wrote about it in the coming pages of his prophetic work. He calls him the suffering servant. So he writes about this. He gets a glimpse of what this looks like, this cleansing of God, rather than his consummation because of his sins. And he mentions this suffering servant in chapter 9. We talked about it at Christmas. He's this son who would be born into the world and be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah mentions him in chapter 42 when he calls him the Chosen One, the Servant who would establish justice over all of the earth for all eternity. And then he mentions him in chapters 50 and 52 and 53, and he says this in chapter 53, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own way, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. See, Jesus is that suffering servant. He is that sacrifice that Isaiah is getting a picture of here. He's this, the sacrifice that would cover the sins of Isaiah and Israel and anyone who would believe all of God's people for all time. See, Jesus lived that perfectly holy and blameless life that you and I should live in God's presence but never can and never will. God's holiness demands that we be holy in his presence, and we can't. So Jesus was holy for us. You can write that down as well. Jesus was holy for us in our place. But then he died the death that we deserve for our lack of holiness because we've rejected God. We're imperfect. We're broken. We're sinners who would rather be our own gods than try to let God be our God. Our sins deserve to be consumed by that burning coal of God's wrath. See, Jesus' blood on the altar washes over that coal and quenches the flame of God's wrath for us. That's the beauty of the gospel that we believe. And now if we turn to him, God's burning fire of holiness isn't consuming. It is cleansing. Jesus' blood makes us not guilty before God. We're able to stand in God's presence without being consumed completely by his holiness because we're in Christ by grace through faith. When we believe in Jesus, he will also raise us from the dead because he himself rose from the dead. So now by his grace through our faith, we can be in his presence now and for all of eternity. And when we're hidden in Christ, we can stand in God's presence without being consumed. It's a, it's a beautiful, that's the gospel that we believe. And listen, it would be like humans going to the surface of the sun in some kind of spacecraft that doesn't exist and being able to not only be around and be close to the sun, but go touch the surface of the sun. Go into the surface of the sun. Go through the sun and explore all parts of the sun without being consumed. It's kind of like that with us and Jesus. He does that for us before God. When we're in him through faith, we can draw near to God and get to know God more and more and more, both now and for the rest of eternity. And that's the good news of the gospel that we believe as Christians. That moves us from salvation to sharing. We weren't consumed, we were cleansed. And then God commissions us to go. 
See, once Isaiah was cleansed by God, he was no longer afraid in God's presence. He was excited. He wanted, he had delight in his, he moved from despair to delight. So you can write this down. Salvation moves us from despair to delight. Because when we experience Jesus' cleansing in our life, we no longer despair when we're in God's presence. We delight in him. Yes, it starts with fear because we're laid bare. But then he comes in and he touches our lips, cleanses us of all of our sin. We delight in him because now we can be in that presence of the holiest God, the God above all, the God beyond all things that we could ever experience or understand, and we can delight in his presence. And so as it applies to us today, it moves us from salvation to sharing. Salvation results in sharing for us. It results in a lot of things, like I said, right? But today we see the direct correlation here with Isaiah. He gets saved by God and then he's like, I gotta go. I'm ready to go. We can speak for God on his behalf to other people around us. Maybe you remember 2 Corinthians 5.20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We're his ambassadors now. Is that not mind-blowing? This God that we've just seen in the temple, who's holier than anything that we could ever imagine, who could sue us if we stood in his presence and actually saw God, we get to be his representative now simply for the fact that we believed in Jesus. Man, what a beautiful gospel that we believe. It's now our joy to share Jesus with others. You can get the picture here with Isaiah. I mean, he's moving from despair to delight. We see God say, whom shall I send now and who will go for us? Who's going to speak on our behalf? And you get this idea not of a begrudging volunteer, right? Isaiah doesn't go, well, I guess I'll go. I, I mean, I get, I've been in your presence. You know, I, I mean, I don't really want to, but I, get, I mean, if, if nobody else will go. Hey, listen, if nobody else will go, right, then you can count on me. Maybe I'll do it, right? No. It's not begrudging. You get a picture of Isaiah going, ooh, ooh, pick me. I, I will go. I, I'm ready. You've saved me. God, I'll, I'll go. Here, here I am. Send me. That's the picture that we have here of Isaiah. It's not begrudging. It's with joy. There's no despair. There's delight. And so you can write this down as well as kind of a final point for today. Despair gives way to delight, which results in deed. Because the deed now here is volunteering to go and preach the gospel. God's salvation to the whole world, not out of despair, not begrudgingly, but with joy. We're cleansed and then commissioned by God. And that's what the Great Commission is all about, to go and make disciples of all nations. That's why when we hear about people who've never heard the gospel in some place, they've never heard the name of Jesus. They don't know what the Bible is. They've never heard God's name mentioned other than some kind of you know, Buddhism or Hinduism or some other gods, right? And they, they sit under this fear that they've never known the God of the universe that would cleanse them. When we hear that, how could we not be touched? That somebody's never heard, here am I. Well, then send me, God, I've seen your glory. I've been cleansed by your goodness. Please, God, send me. Here I am. And I know there are always common objections to this. Like I said, I have many myself. And the two that I think that I struggle with the most, or I don't have the energy today, God. I just don't feel like it. I'm just not going to be able to engage that person. Or, you know what? I don't know what to say. I'm afraid. I have no idea what I should say. And listen, if those are 
like me, if those are your objections, I'm sure there are many more we could give. But listen, if we've got God's spirit in us, if we truly encountered the God of the universe, it doesn't matter. There's never a time when I'm so excited about something, there's never a time where I'm too tired or too afraid and don't know what to say to say something. I'd rather make a fool out of myself than not tell something, somebody that I'm super excited about, right? We don't need to know all of this stuff. We don't need to be making excuses here. We just need to trust the Holy Spirit within us because he says we're ambassadors now. We get to go. We have the privilege of going. We get to tell people about this God who's, yeah, laid us bare, seen every part of who we are, made us melt and be undone in his presence, but then he's cleansed us of all those impurities and imperfections. We get to stand in his presence forever? How can we not go? The question isn't then, why shouldn't I, why should I go? But the question becomes, why shouldn't I go, right? So the application for us today really depends on how you came in here. I want to wind our time down now. First, if you're not a believer in here today, I want to say to you, listen, you need to believe in Jesus. I'd encourage you to really see this God of the universe for who he is, who the Bible says that he is here. He's your king. He's your creator. He's willing to be your savior if you'll look to him and put your faith and trust in him today. He sent Jesus just so that you could experience his salvation. Let him cleanse you today. Stand in his presence, and yes, you'll be undone, but then he'll build you back into something better, and he'll save you. Man, I would really encourage you, if that's you today and you don't believe, call him your Lord before you leave here. Maybe you're listening online, call him your Lord today. But if you're here, and you'd say that you believe, but you've never shared Jesus with anybody, it's never even crossed your mind, you, you don't want to, you don't see the need to, then I would encourage you to take a really good hard look at whether or not you actually have encountered this God that Isaiah describes here. And this is where the conviction comes into place. Have you actually seen God, the God of the Bible, that's described here that's not only the God beyond anything we could ever imagine, but the God who came into time and space on our behalf to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Have you ever really experienced that God before? Because like I said in the beginning, it's impossible to see that God and not be, and be saved by him and it not result in you sharing it with other people. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care what your background is. And if you say you believed in God forever, listen, the, the demons believe. The demons know that Jesus is God's son. That should sober us up just a little bit. We gotta move beyond belief and we gotta move into following. We gotta move beyond belief and beyond begrudgingly doing these things and move into joy and excitement and doing what Jesus has called us to do to be his ambassador to the world. Man, if you've never done that before, you just need to take a good hard look because if that's you today and you're recognizing, yeah, I might believe in Jesus, but I've never actually followed him as my Lord, as my King, as this God who I melt before, but then who cleanses me and I can be in his presence. If you've never done that today, you can before you leave. You can put your faith and trust in him and you can make a decision to follow him, not just believe in him, but make him your Lord and your King. I, I, would, I would encourage you to do that today. But then for the rest of us here, maybe you're like me and maybe you've experienced God's salvation, but you're convicted because you're thinking about how little you've shared the gospel in recent days. I know that's where I'm at. I feel guilty. Every time we talk about this, it's like, man, I feel, it's like talking about prayer. You're like, yeah, I should always do it better. I'm just not doing a good job at it. Listen, maybe we need to sit under that conviction today for sure. But let's ask God to forgive us before we leave here. Let's repent. 
Let's take this time as we respond here in just a moment to beg God to move us from despair to delight, to see the salvation that he's given us and to share it with others, not begrudgingly, but with joy because we know what God's done for us. Let's ask God to do that in our hearts today before we leave here. And I want to leave you with this picture because like I said, we're, we want to see 50 people sent in the next five years. It's a lot. I don't know that, I don't know that we'll do that. We can't do that. God's got to be the one moving in our hearts to do it. It's a supernatural goal for us. So we're asking and begging God that he would do that and make us effective for his mission here in Roanoke and to the ends of the world. Part of our strategy for fulfilling the Great Commission is starting by sending people this year. And so we're going to talk to Adrian and Rachel about going with them on short-term trips like they talked about. And that's going to be a little bit more intense, right? Because we're reaching unreached people groups. We're sharing the gospel with people who've never heard before. It's going to be in a far-off place in South Asia, all that kind of stuff. But we're actually going to have an entry-level trip this year, moving into the summertime this year. And I, I, I don't have all the details for it right now, so I just want to put it before you and say, we're going to have an entry-level trip. I want every single one of you to pray about going on that trip with us. Every single one of you. There's no person that should take their yes off the table here today if you believe in Jesus. I want you to pray about going on that short. It's just an entry-level trip. And when I say that, that means it's going to be very low cost. It's going to be very low impact. We're going to go. And yeah, we're going to be able to you know, participate in the mission. But it's just going to be a lot lower impact than going to an unreached people group where there's no Christian witness. There's a lot of spiritual warfare, all of that. And the reason we're going to do it this way is so that you can take steps because maybe you've never been on a trip before. This would be the time to do that. This would be your first opportunity. So take that step this summer to do that with us. Pray about it right now because who knows, in five years when we're trying to send 50 people, it could be one of you in this room right now that God is calling to send to some city somewhere else in a church plant or to some other country to reach an unreached people group like Adrian and Rachel. I pray that that would be the case for our church. Somebody sitting in this room right now being called to go. And of course, hundreds of other people who aren't sitting in this room right now that also might be called to go. But think about that for yourself. Is it you? Are you called to live on mission somewhere else? And that's what my prayer is for our church. Let's take a few minutes and respond now. And let me pray for us as we do that. God, thanks so much for listening with us today. We hope that it was an encouragement to you. But you know, we don't see this as a replacement for gathering with other believers in a local church context. So if you don't have a local church, we would encourage you to plug in with one wherever you are. And if you're in Roanoke, Virginia, we'd love to invite you to plug in with us here at Redemption Church. And you're welcome anytime to gather with us. But you can check us out online at our, our website, redemptionroanoke.com. You can look for other content or resources there. But thanks again for listening.